Man, Christmas is just such a joyful time and a, a time of uh, happiness, and you can just feel it in the room, and uh, part of that probably is your Christmas shopping is finished, and you're happy about that, but of course for us it's uh, celebrating the, the, the birth of Christ and the coming into the world of, of the Savior of the world. And, uh, but it, it does have the, all the, uh, the, the things, that the layers that come with Christmas. And I've got a, a confession to make uh, that when I, um, uh, every Christmas, I still watch uh, Frosty the Snowman and uh, Rudolph. Do you guys watch that? I, I was noticing, uh, all right, these guys, especially over here. Um, and so I, I've noticed something about those, those, uh, those stories and that every single one of those stories there's always an unlikely hero. Have you noticed that? The Grinch that stole Christmas. Do you remember the little girl? you remember her name? Cindy Lou. Cindy Lou saved the whole town of Whoville. And then, uh, you know, Frosty the Snowman, there was the little, the little girl. Her name was Karen, and uh, she was the one that saved Frosty from melting into oblivion. And, of course, Rudolph, the unlikely red-nosed reindeer, and uh, he, you know, saved the day and especially the island of misfit toys. And so when you look at each of those stories, there is this, there's a sense of someone coming along to save the day for a group of people or persons that cannot save themselves. Isn't it funny that even in the cartoons, the Christmas story weaves itself in? Because the Christmas story is about a hero, and God, in this story, is the hero. He's coming to the earth to save what I guess we could refer to as the island of misfit toys. Because all of us have that sense of brokenness. Now, some may feel in this room more successful, maybe because of your profession, maybe because of your personality, maybe because of where you live. You may say, man, I'm more successful. Others may feel unsuccessful. When I say misfit toys, you're like, boy, that's me. But the news of the Bible, the story of the Bible, is that we're all on the same island and that there is a hero and his name is Jesus. And that is the story of heroes. And that is the story of, of Christmas. When you look at the story of Christmas, we begin tonight by looking at the most famous Christmas story found in the gospel or the story that was told by, the, uh, by a man named Luke. The, the, we begin in Luke chapter 2, and we begin in verse 8, a very familiar part of the Scripture, especially at Christmas time. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, because I bring you good news of great joy that will be for every single person living on the island of misfit toys. No one is left out in this story. Every single race, every single faith, Every single gender, every single age, Christ came in this moment in history for everybody on the island. That's why it's good news of fantastic joy, because everybody's included. 
Today in the town of David, that was Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. Not a king only, not a teacher only, not someone that's just smart, not someone that is just nice, not someone that's just gentle, because none of those characteristics could have saved those of us on the island of misfit toys. You see, the angels say, not only this great news that I'm giving to you is because everybody is included, but because the hero is exactly who you need to be. You need a hero that will be the savior of the world. David, in the city of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appear. Now, already we've got these angels speaking, and now the background choir comes in. And this is the gospel choir. They're just, man, they're just like, they're just letting it rip, raising the roof. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, here it is, goodwill toward men. The key tonight is in that little teeny word, toward, that God, the hero, was running towards the predicament, toward the island of misfit toys and not away from it. You see, all these unlikely heroes in these Christmas stories, they ran to the problem. They didn't run away. That's what made them the hero. When 9-11 hit, we, we, we applaud, we congratulate, we admire those firefighters and those policemen who ran toward the predicament. They were not running out of the building. They ran in the building. That's what made them heroes. And the enlistment in the armed services after 9-11 went up thousands, thousands. They hit new enlistment figures where most people would say, I'm going to run from that rather than I'm going to run towards that. And the reason that every hero runs towards a predicament is that they are beautifully bothered. It's a conversation we've been having in our church for the last two months. In other words, there's something in a hero that says, as Popeye says, as I quote him all the time, I can't stand it no more. I can't stand this predicament. I can't stand that there are isolated toys on the island of misfit toys. Christ, in this moment, ran towards us and said, I can't stay away. I can't keep my, my distance from the earth. I must go toward the earth. I must be the hero. I must be the savior. And that is the Christmas story. Now, Jesus comes along and he tells three stories. Many of you are very familiar with them. You might find it odd that we speak about this on an evening we call Christmas Eve. But I find them very appropriate. Jesus told three stories, one of a lost sheep, one of a lost coin, and one of a lost son. Now, there are many angles of this story. If you've heard the story of the prodigal son, the lost sheep, the lost coin, many angles. I think we've told every angle, including the angle of the pigs in the story. There's just many angles to this story. However, if you look at the core of the story and why Jesus is talking about a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son, he's not only saying that 
that the hero of the world, the savior of the world, cares about those who are lost, those who are wondering what life is all about, wondering if there's any purpose. But every story is generated by this bothering in the hero and the searcher, the looker of the story. And when we look at that person who's looking in the story, what really stands out that Jesus is trying to, to, to show to us, look at the degree to which this person was bothered. Look at the extent to which he, he went to search. So when we, look at the, when we look at the story of the lost sheep, we're told that the shepherd lost one teeny sheep, and he was willing to leave 99 sheep behind. What shepherd in his right mind leaves 99 sheep all to themselves out unprotected now for, for, for wolves and pray, for them to be prey to these, to these wolves and wild animals? But see, Jesus is saying that one person is so important, so bothering to that shepherd that he's willing to go to the extent of leaving the 99 behind knowing and hoping that they'll be protected, all to go to that one sheep. Then he tells the story of a lost coin. It's not like, hey, somebody lost a coin. They're talking about a widow in this story. She lost a coin, and she, she searched a little bit for it. No, this lady was bothered that she lost one of her coins. We don't even know if it a, a, was a quarter or a penny or a half a dollar, something really valuable. Most likely, she didn't have a lot of money, so it was valuable to her. But what we're told is that she not just looked for the coin, she actually swept the entire house to look for that one single coin. She lit a lamp. And the only reason she lit a lamp is that she had been searching so long it got dark outside. Jesus is saying, look at the extent to which she was bothered. Swept the whole house, looked all day until she found it. I'm sure you've lost something important like that. We lost a cell phone not too long ago, and that's just like your entire world. But that was our youngest son's cell phone. And if you know anything about iPhones, you can, there's a locator on there. And so we started locating it, and it was in a part of a city that we had not been in uh, ever, actually, right here in Sarasota. And then uh, my wife was just, I'm like, well, I guess we lost it. That, that was kind of my mindset. Well, we lost it. Good thing I'm not God, by the way. Oh, whatever. They're, you know, on the island of misfit toys. Tough to be them, I guess. But, man, she was looking for this phone, and finally she called the phone. There was somebody that answered the phone. Hello? Um, this is our phone, and you're using it. And so it was almost like a spy movie. She, she, so it got to the negotiating point. How much are you going to pay me to get the phone? Wouldn't you have been, wouldn't you have been just loving like if you were like, well, I'm in your driveway, so just come on out or something like that would be great. But I started getting nervous. And I'm like, because yeah, she was like, Let's, I'm going to meet this person. And she actually showed up downtown <clears throat> by herself. I didn't go. There we go. Just being honest. Oh, that's right. Robert was with me. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes. Now, I haven't slept at home in a couple of months. Uh, that's why I may look tired. The guy didn't show up, but it shows the extent of someone who was really wanting to and someone that didn't care. 
Jesus is saying, this really mattered to this shepherd. This really mattered to this woman who lost the coin. And then he gets to the third act, the grand finale. Not just a sheep, an animal. Not just a coin that can be spent or lost, but a human being. And not just a human being, but a soul. You see, it's one thing to lose something like an animal or a coin. It's another thing to lose a soul. A lot of people here tonight, a lot of different backgrounds. Let me just make something real clear for us. Many people believe that we are bodies, human bodies with souls. We are really souls that just happen to have a human body. This human body is just dying away. The soul goes on forever and ever and ever. That's why Jesus made this the finale. There was a son that was lost. I think most of us know the, the story of the prodigal son. The son goes to the father, says, I, I want my part of the inheritance. He, he you know, went to sow his wild oats. He blew the money. He recognized that he, he was with people that he shouldn't have been hanging with. He felt lost. He felt like he was uh, without any kind of uh, uh, safety, any kind of security, any kind of hope. Some people, I bet, sitting right here on this Christmas Eve might feel that right now. No security, no hope, no purpose. And you can identify with this son who really felt like a, a resident on the island of misfit toys. I know what that feels like. I was there at that intersection thinking, what in the world is life about? There's got to be more than that. I wonder if that's how you feel. The son said, I've got to return to the father, not knowing what the response would be. The son goes back to the father, and I want to kind of unveil this, this beautiful dimension, because we've heard this, some of us who know the Bible have heard this story many times. And the son comes back, and this is kind of the climax of the finale in, in Luke chapter 15 of verse 20. This, by the way, is the same writer that wrote Goodwill Towards Men, Luke. This is the man that opened up the story by saying there's a hero who understands the plight, the dilemma, the predicament of the human race, that we all, without God, are going to go our own way and we all, without God, are without purpose and without hope and without security. And so this same writer at this, 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 this apex, this finale, he, he writes these words, but while this son, this boy, was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. You see, I see the Christmas story in that, strangely enough. Goodwill towards men. This father ran towards a, a lost son, a hopeless son, a helpless son, a son that was broken, 
a son that wanted something different in his life. This was, a, this was not a father that stood back. And there's reasons that he ran, that when you look at this culture, you, you understand that, man, he must have been so bothered that he ran. Now, for us, we're like, hey, you know, for, as dads in American culture, it's not a big deal to run. But in this culture, there's a, there's, there was a, a profound reason why he started running. Let me introduce you to a word I'm going to guess you don't know. It's the, the word is kazaza. It sounds like a circus word or something, right? I, I actually put it up here on the screen just so you kind of know what I'm talking about, kazaza. Here's what kazaza was. Check it out. When a boy of Jewish culture took his money and went out and blew it, especially in a non-Jewish world, that was a huge no-no. And when that happened, that, if that boy returned to the village or the community, Kazaza would take place. Here's how Kazaza unfolded. And I want you to put yourself in this, this, boy's, this boy's position because he fully understood the practice of Kazaza. And that's why before he came back and we have this beautiful finale, he was rehearsing. He said, I will tell my father I'm unworthy to be your son. You can cut me right out of everything. All I want to do, Dad, is work on your farm as a hired hand. I'll mend fences. I'll shovel in the stables. I'll do whatever it takes. And he rehearsed because he understood what Kazazim was. Here's how it rolled out. When a boy came back after blowing all his money and after ruining the reputation of his family, and there was word that the boy is coming back, the village, the community would go out with this huge clay pot full of burnt beans. It smelled awful. And they would lay it at the boy's feet. And then they would take something heavy and they would smash the pot. And that was a symbol that you are now banished forever. Not only from your family, but from this community. And it happened right at the gate. Now, when you read the story, and when we read it in English, sometimes it's hard to, to, to tell the, the depth and the beauty of the language. Remember, when Jesus is telling this story, he's telling it like we would in this day and say, hey, it went down to the Apple store. Everybody understands what that means. Or a gas station, you know. Uh, uh, 2,000 years from now, if we're still around, an, an apple, would you get apples? They may not get that, but they understood Kazaza. They understood this. And they understood the language in which Jesus was speaking because when we read the word that he ran, the reason, the, the word there is not just trot or jog or we might think run. The word there is an all-out sprint, the word that was used in a foot race. In other words, Jesus, I'll remind you, is telling us the extent to which the father was bothered. And the reason that he ran full force, and we're told that he was, we saw, we, we saw the, from a distance, right? If we can bring 1520 back up in Luke. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion the reason that he, he, he was running full force is because, watch, he saw the boy 
a far way off, and he was trying to beat the village to the gate. The judgment was inevitable to be banished. And the father said, I'm not going to let it happen. I'm going to save my son from the inevitable judgment of that, that, that is coming in the future. You see, Kazaza, what happened in Kazaza is that the mother was allowed to go out, but the father was not. The father sat in his house, emotionally separated from the boy, and it sent a message of endorsement of the judgment. Before Luke tells his story, there are 400 dark years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The world began to wonder, is the God of this universe standing by with arms folded, a symbol of the oncoming judgment? Is he endorsing the judgment? And that's why when Luke says, oh no, it's good news of great joy, goodwill towards men. Our father, as in this story, the hero of this story is coming and he's running full force towards those of us on the island of misfit toys. You see, that is a lot of great news. Not only that, some of you know this, that in that culture, we understand that this man was wealthy. He had hired hands. He had a farm. He had property. He had an inheritance to give away. You read between the lines, he was a man of wealth. Wealthy man, men never ran. Wealthy men never ran. Because when we run at that speed, you have to take your hand and you have to pick up the bottom of your robe and you have to pull it up where your legs are exposed so you don't trip and you run with humility. You run like crazy. So there's this wealthy man who's running his brains out toward a son to try to beat the judgment because he was beautifully bothered enough. It takes a lot of humility on God's part to come running to us, doesn't it? Some of you know that humility. I know that humility. I don't know what time your recycling comes in the morning. You know where I'm going. Maybe. Occasionally, more than I'd like to confess, I forget to put the recycling out. Our recycling truck comes somewhere around oh dark hundred. And uh, occasionally I can hear it, you know, and it's only like three houses away. All right, let's, let make me feel better. How many people have run out into their driveway at oh dark hundred? Thank you. I got, yes, there we go. Thank you. At least I feel a little better. However, two weeks ago, it was... Um, I heard it, and, you know, here we go, routine, forgot to put it out, and you know it, right? Just in that instant, you're like, ah, ah, ma, and it was just, it was a week of heavy recycling. We actually have three bins. We have two boys who drink a lot of milk and orange juice, so there's a lot of plastic going out of our house, and I heard the truck coming, 
and I'm, I happen to be sitting on the couch at Do oh, Dark Hundred. Another story for another day. We can be transparent in church. You can, can you say the word boxers in church? All right. I frantically, I have a sleep shirt and boxers, and uh, I frantically run into the laundry room. I can hear it getting closer and closer, the impending judgment of not putting the recycling out, right? I can hear it coming closer and closer and closer. And so I, I run into the uh, laundry room, and the only thing in there is my wife's very thin stretchy pants. In that moment, in fact, my wife is wearing those pants tonight if you want to. I'm like, I got two choices. I got the wrath of keeping recycling, all, you know, or I gotta, I'm going to run in humility. I chose run with humility. I'd like to say I pulled them on. It was, a, it was you know, like there was groaning and grunting going on, right? And I thought, man, if I could just, if there's any way I could beat the truck, that'd be awesome. Not on your life. Now, I don't know about your recycling truck. Ours has enough to light up Madison Square Garden. And I run out there full force like this. Actually, have you ever seen Seinfeld where the guy has tight jeans? It was more like this, right? He's waiting for me. Bright lights. Bright lights. Humility. We're told in the Bible that that's what God did for us. In fact, when I think of that story, I think, you know, I feel better when I think of the words that uh, according to Nacho Libre. You know what I mean? Uh, when you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants. Not only do we have a hero in this story, but we're told in the Bible that he made himself nothing. You see, a hero is not just bothered enough. Those men and women who ran into that building on 9-11, they were selfless. They weren't thinking of themselves. It's a reflection of the Christmas story, goodwill towards men and humility. Not only that, one more thing. We're told in Luke 15, 20, if we can look at it one more time, that he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, once again, when you, you look at the beauty of the original language, when we see the word kissed him, what that really means is kissed him over and over and over and over and over. In a room full of people, 
I always know there are people sitting right here that wonder, is God like this to me? Of all the private things, of all my failures, of all the things I've said and thought, is God sitting in the house and judgment is inevitable? And Jesus said, no, that is not the picture of the God, the hero of the Christmas story. His arms are not folded. His arms are wrapped. And not only his arms are wrapped in this, this humble hero, but he kisses over and over and over and over. And in that culture, only the mothers did that. Christ kissed the world in humility. He didn't mind for us, for you, to hang naked before the world. And in, at Christmas time, we always say these words, don't we? That the best gifts come in what? Small packages. So I'm going to close tonight with a small, teeny little package. And I tell you, I'm not exaggerating when I say this small little word in the Bible means everything. It's a game changer. It's a, it can be a life changer. And it's only a two-letter word, but it changes everything. We are not told that just God loved the world, but in the most well-known verse in the Bible, we read this, for God so loved the world. What, what do I mean by that? He was so bothered by our predicament. He just didn't love us. He loved us enough. He didn't just love us. He loved us so much, so much that he gave his only begotten son goodwill towards men, not away from us, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not be lost, shall not be hopeless, shall not be helpless, shall not be insecure, but will have everlasting, secure hope and life forever. It is God's Christmas gift to you that he is running toward you. There are people I'm looking out of this room that I'm moved in this moment that on a Christmas Eve, they said, I, I can no longer think of God with his arms folded. But I, it is revealed to me that God is a God who runs to me and loves me and hugs me and kisses me. A God that so loved the island of misfit toys that he ran towards us and not away from us. And God says to us, you cannot work your way back. He didn't make that boy work his way back. He said, I'm coming with open arms. And he and the only thing that God asks us to do is, will you depend on me for this everlasting life? Will you not depend on yourself? Will you not lean on yourself? Will you not be reliant on yourself? But will you let that go and trust in a loving God, trust in the God that is, that is the hero of this world, but he is the humble servant that comes running and say, by faith, by faith, I accept you and receive you into my life. This 
is the entire intention of God running to us before the judgment. So we're going to pray. We're going to thank God for good news of great joy tonight. That's why we've come to celebrate. And some of you may have come thinking that there is a God who doesn't like you. He loves you. And I want to give you an opportunity to pray. Nothing crazy, nothing weird, but just a, a time to pause and say, God, I want Christ in my life. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of wondering what I'm here on the planet for. I'm tired of being separated from you. I'm tired of thinking you, of you as an angry God. I want you to be the sa my Savior. You are the Savior of the world. I want you to be my Savior. Just like that prodigal son, will you come back? Will you come to the Father? That is a question I'd like to give you in this moment, because we don't have a lot of these moments, do we? Get out in the craziness of life and the busyness of life. It's good to stop and pray and recalibrate in these moments. So don't miss it. Would you pray with me? Father, how grateful we are, God. How grateful we are for good news of great joy. God, thank you so much that you did not run from us, but the essence, the, the core of the Christmas story is that you ran towards us, goodwill toward men. Tonight, Father, we begin by just thanking you on this Christmas Eve that we can carve away this time, this moment, and celebrate the fact, God, that Christmas is a spiritual season. It's a season for songs and Christmas trees and, and, and fun and all that. But God, at the very core, it's a spiritual season. So Father, thank you. Thank you for not running from us. Thank you for not folding your arms and staying in heaven but God, thank you for coming to earth and running towards us and hugging us and kissing us over and over and over. Thank you, Father, for those who are, who are so grateful for Christmas. Thank you, God, for those who are hearing this message. God, thank you, God, for the work that you're doing in our life. And Father, we as we get ready to come and worship and, and just to close this evening out, God, we just want to say thank you for loving us. Man, in a world that sometimes seems so rough and uh, sometimes mean, God, with all the evening news and all that's happening, to, to hear this story, God, of love and how you love us, it truly is amazing. So God, thank you so much for who you are, and for loving us so deeply. And we'll praise you, God, on this Christmas. In Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen.